previously on Hitchcock Chronologically. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, look at look at like the greats of our time, like look at Spielberg, for example, you know, like some massively successful films, some like definite bona fide classics and a lot of them. But they there's some hook going on in there, too. You know, whoa, there whoa, always whoa, is whoa, in there. whoa. No, no. Rufio is bad. We don't like <laughs> these are all incorrect. statements. <laughs> we hear Hitchcock chronologically do not endorse the statements, because if you're going to point at Spielberg, you point at an AI, you point at a Ready Player One. No, no. Those are both better than Hook. Oh, no. Oh, it looks like we're doing you're Spielberg. You're telling me <laughs> that Dustin Hoffman is Hook is bad? Week. You're out yes. of your mind. That's terrible. You're it's out of terrible. your mind. Wait. Julia Roberts is Tinkerbell. It's terrible. Oh, it's unwatchable. I love that film. It warms my heart. Toodles loses his marbles. You're gonna need a bigger potion. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Life uh, finds a way. Welcome back to. Spielberg chronologically. This is the podcast for myself and Eric. Hey, how's it going? Going well, thank you, sir. Uh, we go through every single one of Steven Spielberg's movies in chronological order, except for this one time where we messed up. Well, I'll take the blame. It was my fault. Eric had nothing to do with it. Um, but we're back on track. Back to doing things chronologically. We are. Yeah, and I don't think anybody minded. It was okay. They came out in the same damn year. Cut me some slack. Yeah, it was fine. It was fine. So uh, this is an episode that is long, long overdue. Um, we really, honestly, so you don't know this, Eric, but at the beginning of the episode, I, I edited in a clip from the Frenzy episode of Hitchcock Chronologically um, to kind of show the antithesis. Is that the right word? Antipathy? The genesis, maybe, would yeah, be okay, better yeah. than the genesis of uh, Spielberg chronologically, where someone decided they'd say, hey, we all, I believe the quote was, and everybody just heard it, so uh, not everybody has hits. You know, Spielberg would have your jaws, but there'd always be hook. And I took exception to that. And here we are many months later. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I, I think, uh, I think, I, I think I might surprise you a little bit on this episode. I'd be happy if the surprise is at least you, you had a good time. Um, so now let's do our normal history. What's your history with hook and why did you hate it so much? Okay. So hook came out what? 91, 92 in there somewhere early 90s right. 91 91 our first 90s it might be yeah yeah so i was 19 years old at the time and as a young adult i was no longer a child but mm-hmm. i did not have children of my own mm-hmm. and therefore the themes of this movie hit me like a dull thud like like they just flopped over like a squishy rotten stinky potato 
and shit potato even (laughs) yeah nothing nothing when i saw this movie and i think i probably saw it on vhs i don't think i saw it in the theater uh nothing in this movie landed for me when i first saw it i i i was not interested at all i thought that robin williams was a little over the top um i i I just didn't like it I, i just didn't like it i was bored by it watching it last night for the first time since then because I, I wrote it off for the rest of time. I was like... Yeah, and I want to say, did you watch with your children? I did watch with my children. Okay. Because yep. that was... I texted Eric, and I said, watch this with your children. I need them to melt your cold, cold heart. <laughs> I watched it with my kids, who had a vague interest in it, I'll say. They okay. watched it. Fair enough. They got through it. They didn't wander away. Um... And this time, I had a somewhat better experience with it. I will okay. no longer say that this is a bad movie. Oh, I will, but I will also not say that this is a good movie. There are problems. I there, can admit that. There are now, some serious problems with this movie. Um, but having just listened to our Always episode and kind of relived the horror of that film yeah uh i was able like uh, that was fresh in my mind and so watching this i was like oh this isn't that bad like this isn't as bad as that i think when we were talking about always you said "Ah, it was something to watch and that's that's kind of where i felt with this Ah, it was something to watch like like uh in the empire of the sun episode i said my thumb was like cocked to the side slightly ticked up that's kind of where i am on this like i i no longer hate it but I don't think I'll ever watch it again. Mm. So I'm both happy and sad. I'm glad that you've melted, you've cooled a little bit on Hook. Now, for me, I saw this in the theater. I was like 11. So, you know, all the magical shit worked. And then I, okay, growing up, I never wanted to be a dentist, a doctor, a fireman, or any of that crap. I never had an occupational dream in my life. I wanted one thing. I wanted to be a dad. And and in the 90s, the theme of almost every damn movie was dads that work too hard that need to spend more time with their kids. Okay. Like I was going to save this for the end. But well, like, no, just I'm not just save it for the end. Save it for the end cuz I'm no, not done yet. We need to, as soon as you're done I want to talk about this. Okay. But go go ahead. And that sort of stuff influenced me as a child in my adult life because it was like every damn movie, that was the theme. And this, for me, was like the chief among them. After watching it and really enjoying it as a kid, we had the soundtrack. I talked about it before on cassette, and we would fall asleep to it. And, of course, it's John Williams, so it's awesome. And, you know, just it, it never... And I remember when we got it on VHS, we just watched it all the time. Like this and Aladdin were like always on for me and my brother. So that that was my well, having watched it again, it's still magical to me. I, there are still several moments where I get goosebumps. But there are also a lot of moments where I'm like, Ugh. like specifically around one particular character that I think is completely wrong. But go ahead. Now you want to talk about what uh, my very my very first note because I, I have notes uh, 
that I put above my questions. And my very first note is the elf conundrum, which is essentially what you were just talking about. Elf yeah, is elf. elf. Elf is the movie that sticks out in my mind as the best example of the dad works too hard and he doesn't spend yeah. enough time with his kids. I movies. would point to this, but I think Elf was what ninety eight. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah, and and I'm just more familiar with Elf than I am with this. But as soon as that landed in this movie, I was like, "Oh, this is the Elf thing." Uh, which Elf three, which makes me bonkers because, like, I really love Elf. Don't get me wrong; mm-hmm. like, Elf, Elf works for me in many ways. But that theme makes me insane because it's kind of like, well, what do you want the dad to do? What do you want the dad to do? Like the dad. The dad is working to keep a roof over your head. Do you want to continue living in your nice New York apartment? Do you want to keep eating spaghetti? Like, like, what do you want the dad to do? And at the end of the movie, the dad is just like, I quit! An elf, that is. And in this movie, it's similar. Robin Williams throws the phone out the window. You know, $5 billion deal down the tubes. Uh, because he's going to spend time with his kids. Like, it is... It, the theme takes the idea too far. Like the way it's presented takes it too far. Like there's there's ways of getting the dad to spend time with his kids without villainizing the dad for having a career. You know, and and like I'm not even a dad that's super career minded. <laughs> like I spend time with my kids yeah. all the time. Like uh, you know, I work from home, so I'm just here. You know, it's not like I'm always at the office or whatever, but like I end in those movies, I end up empathizing more with the dad than with the kid because I'm like, dad's just out there trying to make a hustle. You know, he's just trying to bring home the bacon. Why don't you give him a little slack (laughs) because he missed your baseball game, kid. He's got shit going on. So I don't know, like that, that always gets my goat immediately. You yeah. know. So here's here's where my counter is. There is always room to to create boundaries. So what you're saying is you're creating boundaries for your children saying, hey, I'm working, which I do. I work from home. So I tell my son, hey, when I'm working from home, if you're in this room, you need to be quiet. If you can't, you need to be in another room. That's a boundary, right? You also need to set boundaries for work. And I do that, right? I just like, hey, if you, oh, you need that? It'll be after my son's baseball game. Oh, you want that? My son's birthday is that day. I'm not going to be in the office. I'll take care of it on Monday. You can set those same boundaries. He has no boundaries in this film. I would counter that he's at a critical juncture with this deal he's been working on for who knows how long. Okay, he's been working on on a damn plane for how many hours as he goes from whatever city he lives in to London, and he's he's radio silent hours he cannot answer that damn phone it will be okay and he can wait till his kids are in bed whatever i listen i get where you're coming from don't get me wrong there's times where you grind but there's also times where you set up boundaries and if he goes to his kids baseball game that billion dollar deal will not fall through okay i understand what you're saying but I do think that somebody on a okay, somebody who accepts like a C level position accepts that position knowing that they're going to have to go above and beyond. Like that's the price for the reward of that leadership's like C suite 
position, right? Bro, they don't even show up for shit. (laughs) I know. I I work in a corporation. They work less than just about everybody in the building. I I know often they don't show up for shit, but I I have known some that have gone way above and beyond. Always traveling, always all over the place, you know, and those are the people that, you know, kind of have pushed the companies up over the top, you know, and, and, and made them successful. So, I mean- and those people had kids. And admittedly, they probably struck a better work-life balance than Robin Williams. But what I'm saying is that in the movie, it, it like heightens that dynamic to the point. And it, it takes it to the point where it's unrealistic to establish the uncaring of the dad, you know? Taking phone calls while his daughter is on stage during a play. His phone should be on mute. Of course. I was, I'm, saying, I'm but, just saying... What I I'm saying what is that it, saying. it presents this heightened version. He has of no that. damn boundaries. Yes, he has no boundaries, but he's a character in a movie. Like I don't know if anybody realistically are, would be like that. People would shut sure out, maybe. But uh, art reflects life. <laughs> yeah, sure. The Peter Pan movie reflects life. It so. totally does. <laughs> it's so many life lessons. All right, so All right. let's jump in. Cool. We start off, of course, with all the off. It's it's the the young daughter Amber or uh, Maggie, played by Amber uh, Banning. Or excuse me, holy crap, Amber Scott playing Maggie Banning is doing her play with uh, of Peter sure. Pan. She is playing Wendy, who yeah. is in her mind her grandmother, great granny. I think she calls her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter calls her. Granny, Granny Wendy, so I guess she was yeah. great Granny Wendy. And of course, like we said, Robin Williams playing Peter Banning is taking phone calls and, yeah, I'll definitely be at your game tomorrow. Uh, there's a, like, okay, I'm going to stop because he could totally reschedule that damn meeting. All right. It establishes early on, like the whole point at the beginning of the movies that establishes that he is not, he has good intentions. He promises his kid that he'll be at the baseball game. He understands how important it is. He gets, he gets pulled into his career and well, he's not What pay- does he do on the way out of the building? I don't know. What does he do on the he way out of the building? He gets in a phone duel. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where they're pulling out their cell phones. This is early day cell phones because you can tell how cool they are with their cell phones as they flip out and, that's yeah, stupid. Listen. All right, that's Mark one. I'll give you that scene was stupid. <laughs> so, so uh, basically, he's not paying appropriate attention to his his wife and kids because he's still career focused. He's got this big deal that's going through. So they they pile in the jet and they go over to England, where Granny Wendy, who is purported to be the actual Wendy from the Peter Pan books, or uh, she's having a hospital wing dedicated to her and so he was one of her orphans that she placed with the family in the united states the bannings that's why he's peter banning and he's going over there uh what are the chances <laughs> why wouldn't you be placed with like the smiths right the rogers that's what i thought too like, <laughs> yeah. well, it's got to be the bannings uh so he's going over there to help with the dedication of the wing right so they arrive and uh you know, it's it's clearly the house from Peter Pan. The children are sleeping in the children's room for Peter Pan. The window is there. The two little beds are there. Uh, this old guy, Toodles, is wandering around on his hands and knees looking for his marbles. Um, and, and Granny Wendy is there. And she's Maggie Smith, 
who oh, you got to love Maggie Smith. She's looked the same for 40 years apparently. I, how is it that she's just always been 1 billion? Because I look at her in this movie that came out in 91 and you go and you watch the last Harry Potter and she looks identical. Exactly the same. I looked it up. She was 56 when she made this. So they made How her up she, to look older. Was she older. a smoker? Oh, they made her look... Okay. They okay. made her look older. Ooh, <laughs> okay. she a smoker? <laughs> uh, that's the only explanation. Like, you know. Uh, but no, them doctoring her up to make her look older. Okay. Yeah. But she's awesome. You gotta love Maggie Smith. She is awesome. And, and she's great in this movie. Too. like she 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 brings the magic you know she always brings the magic she's fantastic she does a great job with the whole pita like be anytime she's shocked at him you know Hello, i like this that whole yeah thing. i like great. the part where it's like what does he do for a living and then we'll get into jack played by charlie corsmo who is dynamite i don't i'm not we've talked about Spielberg's ability to act to get kids to act. I think Jack is dynamite in the whole movie. I um, I agree. I think the little girl is great too. I think the Lost Boys are great. Like I I think across the board the kid performances in this are stellar. Like some of those Lost Boys are so lovable. Like, yeah, like Pockets and Thud are being the primary ones. The, like the kid that he eventually gives the sword to, the bigger kid, po- uh, uh, Thud. I loved that kid throughout this movie, you know, and the little boy who comes up and like touches Peter's face while they're trying. Yeah, he's amazing. Also, that's just a great scene. Well, then um, there's the one that looks like he's in the mob. Um, I don't know that kid. Uh, <laughs> that kid is he, definitely recognizable, though. Like I was like, oh, uh, I know that kid. James Medeo. Uh, he plays the character is called Don't Ask. The names of these Lost Boys are awesome. Uh, but he was in Band of Brothers, Jersey Boys, The Offer, Basketball Diaries. He grows up to be in stuff, essentially. Yeah, he's been in a bunch of stuff. Um, yeah, he's. I, I agree. Like, all of them are great. But I particularly, uh, uh, Charlie Corsmo, who plays Jack, is asked to have the most range. I agree. Like, partway through the movie, I think it was towards the end where he was in the Captain Hook outfit and he's kind of struggling to, like, figure out where he belongs or whatever. My my wife actually piped up and said, "Wow, this kid's a really good actor. Like this kid is really nailing this." I was like, "Yeah, yeah he is. He is." He um, so he's talking about his dad's career, and he's like, "This he mergers and acquisitions, or what he explains is like they pull up, and my dad comes in and he dive bombs him, and his dad's getting like embarrassed in front of Wendy because he still tries to impress Wendy, who is ethereal and perfect, and essentially who we should all be is how she's kind of represented in the film." And so anything less than that, you know, Peter feels insecure. And she's like, you've become a pirate. You know, I like that stuff. But yeah, so my favorite Jack moment, though, is actually when they do the clock smashing, uh, where Smee is smashing all the clocks in the room with all the dead clocks. And he's holding one of the clocks and he goes, oh, my God. Like, it's just the genuine child reaction oh I, oh right when when, yeah. when hook starts flipping out about which clock is ticking and he's watching yeah. it and yeah he's got that look on his face like oh this dude is going nuts like yeah, yeah. just really good stuff i i yeah. i didn't realize that's that was my big takeaway this one is how great jack is in the movie um i knew i loved bob hoskins in this it only made it even more so 
um, watching it this time, I was like, damn, Bob Hoskins is good, man. He really is. He's he's great. Like some of the physical comedy in, in this, like just him like doing the footwork on the pitcher mound during the baseball game uh, and, and all that is uh, really tremendous. I also want to call out the little girl that plays Maggie because uh, it's like a smaller role than Jack's role, but it is like appropriately sweet. And the When You're Alone song in particular is like, I I didn't know that I knew that song. Like I didn't remember mm-hmm. knowing that song, and I I couldn't like, I couldn't remember if maybe it was nominated for an Oscar and she sang it at the Oscar show or like, but I definitely knew it from like outside the context of this movie, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe it got some radio play. Maybe there was like a pop version of it recorded. I don't know. But as soon as she started singing, yeah, it, I, uh, like, that song was nominated for an Oscar. Okay, so she must have sang it at the Oscars. Yeah. Um, th- that was the one chills moment in this movie for me was when she started singing that movie, and it did like dawned on me that I remembered it. You know, um, it's a great scene. So yeah, yeah, really good scene. Um, well, the kids uh, after all of this go m- missing when they come home from this dedication of the wing, and the- I like this scene because it it kind of takes us back again to Close Encounters. Uh, the E.T. raid where the house is sort of being attacked by something. The glowing light blaring through the window as the wind comes in, blowing toodles in the maid. Uh, you know, their hair as something is happening. You remember this? You're looking like you don't even know what I'm talking no, about. No, I do know what you're talking okay. about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I love the bit when they come home from the dedication and the maid is like, and the children were screaming. And there's they a giant screaming. claw mark. And there's a no from Captain Hook with a dagger. I loved all of that. It yeah. just felt like the fairy tale world breaking into the real world. So I, I, this is where I'm going to kind of like draw a little line because up until this point, even though I don't enjoy the the dad work themes, up until this point, the movie was 100% working for me. Like I was sitting there watching it, thinking, "Oh wait, do I actually like this?" Like. I think I'm liking this and and it was shocking. I love the just the long dragging mm-hmm. crack in the wall from where Hook just like went through and just like ripped the wall up. Um like I I yeah, so right up until the kids go missing the movie works for me. Okay. And I think you and I might agree on this because right as they go missing we get introduced Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell. Who, in my opinion, is one of the worst parts of the film. I find the character very annoying, overly... Like, she drives the plot forward. She has to guide Peter through all this stuff. And it just... I don't know. I just found her to be annoying on screen. And inauthentic to a degree yeah i don't know so like the character of tink has been reworked by disney a lot you know and now tinkerbell you know they've got this series of tinkerbell movies which by the way for direct video movies are very entertaining they're they're fun little films but it's really altered the character of tinkerbell like back in the day tinkerbell was very emotionally attached to peter yeah, and, and and jealous. She was jealous of Wendy, and in the original Peter Pan, 
she acts out, you know, like she screws over Wendy and the Lost Boys and I think Peter too because she's acting out of of jealousy. Um so like this movie kind of reestablishes a little bit of that, like like I don't know, like I'm with you. The character doesn't really work for me real well because like Tink still definitely has this like attachment to Peter. She's got like a crush like a crush on Peter throughout the movie. And uh, you can see her kind of wanting to act on it. But, I mean, you can really, really tell watching the movie that Julia Roberts was never on set with the rest of the cast except for that one scene. And yeah. and there are so many awkward moments. Maybe where, that's what it is. Where, like, something is happening and then they cut to her sitting on her own set probably on a different day reacting to what's happening in the scene. And then they cut back to the scene. There are so many shots in the movie of her just looking and like smiling and laughing okay. at something. And then yeah, it cuts back and it's, it just makes it so clear that she's just in a different space in a different set on a different, you know, like she's not in the movie except for one scene. She's somewhere else, you know, I didn't like that scene either, but I agree. I think you're explaining exactly my problem. She feels disconnected from the world. And, and yeah, and I, and I kind of accept that as because I don't think it's Julia Roberts fault that the character just kind of feels outside of what's going on. She's not doesn't really have any chemistry with any of the characters, including Peter. Um, and I think that that's why like there's times she has a conversation with Rufio and and you're telling me she was never in the room with Rufio like there's no chemistry there and yeah. that's why it feels kind of off a little bit and um like the so, effects the effects when they insert her into shots are pretty good like they, they especially for the time like they work really well there were only a couple of green screen moments where I was like yeah but uh for the most part like they do a great job miniaturizing her and putting her into those scenes yeah. But but she does feel really disconnected. And I, I was reading, I didn't realize that she and Spielberg had beef after this movie. Like, she was going through some shit. Like, apparently mm-hmm. she was going to get married to Kiefer Sutherland, and that all fell apart, and she ran away, and she checked herself into the hospital she in the middle of filming. She was a runaway bride? She wasn't a runaway bride. She totally was. And... uh so she, she like kind of like screwed up the film schedule by having a nervous breakdown or something. I don't even know. I don't know. Um there were a few moments in this movie though where they showed her and I was like yeah she still has like some real star power to her even if she's like disconnected from yeah. this movie like she still she flashes that smile and you're just like oh you know <laughs> yeah I, I I think that it is kind of unfair for her though because she's I mean Bob Hoskins Dustin Hoffman Robin Williams I mean this is this is a hell of a cast to not be able to be in the room with yeah, and they're all opposite of. They're all there. That's the difference, right. isn't it? She's like you know playing against the tennis ball or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree with that. So that actually kind of makes me feel better, at least about Julia Roberts, because I really didn't like Tinkerbell in this movie. Um, and, and so we get it now. Oh, so we get our introduction introduction to Hook. Now, I think on the episode of Frenzy where we talked about this. I seem to remember you not liking Dustin Hoffman's performance or not thinking much of it 
Um, no, I, I, I liked it. I, I always liked it. Um, okay. It was Robin Williams that I had a problem with, and this time I okay. had much, much less of a problem with him. Um, sometimes Robin Williams can just kind of like push like uh, smiling sincerity or like wincing emotion too far to the point where it becomes like a little cringy for me and so that's the impression that i had of him in this movie and watching it this time that didn't bear out like like i actually thought that he was striking the right tone in Mm -hmm. this in this movie and i had judged him too harshly um but no dustin hoffman i think i was always on board with to the point where i i really wanted more hook in the hook movie and less Peter in the Hook movie, you know. I think um, that's fair. And and uh, so no, I I think that his performance is stellar. Him and Smee, I mean, I would watch a television just, show about him and Smee. You know, it's just him <laughs> and Smee on adventures, all over it. It just Bob Hoskins and Dustin Hoffman have such great chemistry, um, in their scenes together. There's a scene where it's just them two, and Hook is like depressed. And it's like a 10 minute scene, which in a film is a pretty long scene. And it's great. Just they are awesome together. And I I actually would tip the scales in favor of Bob Hoskins as far as the the ability to, to, I don't know, like he's just so good to me. Um, Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I do love Dustin Hoffman's hook. Yeah, I, I think like you're watching these two guys and- I don't know. It's just a masterclass in acting. Like, like you get the sensation these two have been together forever. They've been through some stuff. They really know each other. They kind of dote on each other. They have this established dynamic that they've fallen into. And at one point, Smee is not like picking up his end of the dynamic when Dustin Hoffman is when Hook's pretending that he's going to kill himself. <laughs> I'm committing suicide. Don't try and stop me, Smee. <laughs> Smee, don't try and stop me. Stop me, Smee. Stop me. <laughs> uh it's great it's it's yeah. great great shtick um what- and even like when he goes when smee has the idea that hey what we'll do is we'll make his kids love you and uh, and he sells it to dustin hoffman and then of course hook goes i've just had an idea and like smee doesn't even balk and be like hey i came up with that he just knows hook's gonna take credit for this that's his deal you know like uh, yeah they're awesome, man. They are really good. They are really good. Um, I, I think that scene is where it kind of dawned on me that this would actually be a really good play. Like, I, I, yeah, I could see that. Something about, and this this is like one of my overall problems with the film, is that it doesn't feel very filmic to me. Like it feels like a filmed play. Like they took a stage play and they built these big elaborate sets, but and they're, they're still, great sets. They're still they're kind of small. They're still filming a play. Like yeah. something something about this movie just feels a little distant to me. Like in films, I really expect them to like zero in on the emotion of the moment, and for whatever reason, this movie just really. It feels like performers on a stage as opposed to performers in a film. And it's really hard to kind of put into words. Mm-hmm. But like outside of the when you're alone moment, 
which was you know which struck me in such an emotional way because it was my own experience of like remembering the song and that triggering the memory in me mm-hmm. uh I, like i never was captured by any of the emotional beats of the movie oh. you know like it it never pulled me in and i'm a sucker like my wife nah, and kids you, make fun of me <laughs> my, my wife and kids make fun of me because like when i get caught up in a movie i do this thing where i grab my chest while i'm watching oh. it like i get like super and they always know if i'm really into it because i do that you know and and this was not a chest grabber of a movie oh. for me ever like like no part of it made me feel involved like i enjoyed it on a very superficial level and uh yeah and that scene like like i really enjoyed watching those guys performance mm-hmm. but i was enjoying it because i was thinking like wow these guys performance is really good not because i was thinking like oh hook and smee what are they going to do next you know i was enjoying it for dustin and hoffman and bob hoskins not enjoying it for hook and smee if that makes sense you know okay fair so, enough yeah but um again we kind of went off on the they're they're really the highlight of the film like and i think we can both agree that smee and hook are like the anytime they're on screen you're good you're captivated you're enjoying yourself 100 percent. yeah 100 they're yeah they're awesome um but the introduction of them i i love the the staircase with the red carpet that hook can deploy and undeploy you know and only he gets to walk on it uh, oh, we should talk about the boo box because I got in a little trouble on our Temple of Doom episode for not knowing what the boo box for was. For not remembering the boo box. And but can you and blame me? It's in the movie for half a second. Yeah, Joe was really on about that boo box. Yeah, like, he's like, you don't know about the boo box? And I'm like, oh, I don't know about the damn. <laughs> and you didn't know that was Glenn Close. Fair enough. I didn't. But even watching the movie again, I'm like, it doesn't look like Glenn Close. Now, I can tell because he said something that that is a woman in the pirate makeup, but I still wouldn't have been able to clock Glenn close. Yeah. And, and there are a couple of moments like that in the movie where it was kind of like, ah, uh, like there's a cameo in this movie. I'm not a hundred percent sure why, like why is oh. Glenn close? David Crosby is in this movie. Shoot. Phil Collins. Phil Collins is in this movie. And it was kind of, that's like, the one I clocked. I was like, is that Phil Collins? <laughs> and then it is just out of nowhere. And he's in one scene. He's got like two lines. And then he's gone. Phil Collins looking uh, rather young and lively. I don't know if you've seen any footage of him lately on Genesis' no. latest tour, sitting in a chair all crooked and like oh, not. He's, he's had some health problems, but uh, yeah. And David Crosby is one of the pirates down front uh, while Hook is uh, given one of his initial speeches. He has got one of those little like uh, accordion things. Oh, awesome! And uh, I love the pirates in this movie. I love really anytime they're in that sort of pirate, pirate group <laughs> where like the whole scene of that town. And while I agree, the set feels kind of small, but I also think it feels like kind of it's small, but there's a lot of stuff happening. It's now, a very lively area. I don't know if the set feels small. The set makes the movie feel small. Like when they first start showing the set, like when they first start coming into that set with the camera, it was kind of like, have you ever seen Robert Altman's Popeye? It's another movie with like one of these big. Is that Robin Williams? Yeah, it is. It is Robin Williams. Yeah. No, uh, it's been so long. I can't remember it. 
a big elaborate set. And, and, and so when they're coming in with the camera and they're kind of showing the town and the dock and the ship and, and all of that, it's like, it's clearly a set, but it is big and it is detailed and there's a lot going on in the scene. But the movie never leaves that set. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's the uh, Lost Boys set and there's the pirate ship set. And that's it. Like the pirates never take their ship anywhere. They don't they don't go do stuff. They just hang out on their boat. Like they're not very active Which pirates. Keeps up on the the whole stage play idea. Yeah, that's part of why I, I had that feeling because they don't go anywhere, you know? Like the, the pirates never go out and tour around the island, they never go look for the lost boys. They never like, you know, the pirate ship doesn't fly, well, I say, you know. He's killed so many lost boys. He's kind of bored with it. Yes, that is true. That is true. But <laughs> like, and, and but the pirates just feel really stagnant to me. And maybe that does feed into like Hook's boredom, you know, because they've run yeah. out of stuff to do, and he is looking for you know a way to like recapture his glorious past where they used to go places and do things. I don't know, but but the fact that 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 set is locked down the way it is, uh, just makes the scope of Neverland feel small yeah. to me. You know, I, like, I could get behind that. I, but more what I, I guess I was kind of, when they're in that set and there's all the pirates around and the people who keep accidentally getting shot, um, which is hilarious. There's a point where uh, Peter Banning pulls out his checkbook and he's like, all right, how much you want for my kids back? And Hook shoots the checkbook and then there's a guy behind it. He's dead now. And, you know, just comically done. I I enjoy that. Um, And then the baseball one. So they take. So Captain Hook is trying to get Jack, uh, Pete's young son, to fall in love with him because they establish Neverland makes you forget. Um, And you can forget very easily where you are, what where you've been. You know, you very much are in the moment. And so by essentially being the surrogate father to Jack, he starts to forget his dad and he starts to forget Maggie and, you know, all his past. So, but one of the things they're doing is playing baseball because of course, Peter never made it to my games. And one guy steals from second to first. And the guy in the crowd goes, Hey, still a second. And the, the the catcher shoots him with a gun and kills him. It's awesome. And of course, Hook's like, bad form, bad form. We're playing by Master Jack's rules. It's great. I love the baseball scene so much. Yeah, the baseball scene is pretty good. Yeah, And I think it's Robin Williams' best part, too, where he's like, my Jack. And he's, when they're chanting, home run, Jack, and he's behind his son, you know, and uh, I, I, it gets me. I it, Yeah, I liked it. There are a lot of good moments in the film, and the baseball scene is one of them. Um, Yeah, it's it's just that they don't fit together into a cohesive whole for me, you know? Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He sighs and stops talking. uh, I just... I really enjoyed it. So let's get to Rufio. All right. Okay, let's get to Rufio. Let's get to Rufio. Let's get to Rufio. So you get introduced to the Lost Boys, and they're all over. There's Lost Boys everywhere. Uh, There's Pockets, and we talked about Thud and all these guys. 
They're awesome. We love the Lost Boys. But the leader of the Lost Boys, in the absence of Peter, is Rufio, played by Dante Bosco, um, who has black hair with these red tips. It's like a... It's awesome. It's very 90s. And he's riding a windboard. Like, I like their little camp. It's really fun. Um, it looks like a place ran by children. Um, and he comes in, and he's the leader of the Lost Boys. And I love Rufio. Rufio is about the least interesting part of this movie for me. I... Everybody from a certain generation seems to have this weird Rufio obsession. (laughs) You say hook and they say Rufio. And and I kind of had forgotten like how much Rufio is in the movie, which isn't really a whole lot. And so like, I'm expected like they're all chanting Rufio, Rufio, Rufio. Rufio. And, And I was expecting Rufio to be a much bigger part of the movie, but he's really not like he disappears for large chunks of the movie. He comes in, he establishes his dominance as the leader of the lost boys, um, and then he kind of disappears. He has like some some jealousy moments, you know, where he's kind of jealous of Peter once Peter um, like reestablishes himself as, quote, the pan. And well, once he he fully sees that, I think there's always a little doubt, even when you're playing with this Peter, when they, he starts to kind of turn the corner, you see some jealousy. But once he establishes, I'm Peter Pan. Rufio kind of gets on board. Yeah, I kind of felt like Rufio kind of personified Neverland's doubt that Peter was Peter Pan, right? Yeah, and that's then fair. then he kind of when he turns and Neverland accepts uh, Peter as Peter Pan, like as a whole, like they all mm-hmm. like Rufio accepts him, they all accept him, um, and then Rufio shows up again at the end, has a shitty sword fight and dies. Like, yeah, like, they did my man dirty. So they, I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna and nobody call. cares. Nobody cares. I like, remember it's like the pirate getting shot and falls down, and the game just goes it's on. A, they give you a little more than that. That's they give what you, happens you when Rufio dies. No, like, they all just like Peter then fights. You know, Captain Hook no, okay. in another shitty sword stop, fight. Stop. And, and then and then he says, "And you killed Rufio." And that's the only time it's even mentioned again in the movie. And all the Lost Boys are immediately cheering for Peter while Rufio lays there choking on his own blood. Like, Okay, stop. Okay, stop it. <laughs> um, so, one, I remember as a kid being devastated that Rufio bites it. Like, I skipped it in the movie because I didn't want Rufio to die. Now, they do... The, Peter holds him as he dies, and you get... Granted, okay... Not a great line where Rufio's like, you know what I wish? Oh, I wish right. I had a dad like you. Okay, Boom. I could do it. Yes, <laughs> I could do without that. But I still remember being devastated that Rufio died because I loved Rufio. Um, but what I call, what I, and it's just dawning on me, what Rufio is, is this movie's Boba Fett. Boba Fett is in Star Wars for a blink. And then he gets eaten by the, the damn sandworm. And everybody's like, hell yeah, Boba Fett. And I've always been a Boba Fett hater because I'm like, Boba Fett's garbage. Like, he never does anything good. And if they made a Boba Fett movie, it should be a slapstick comedy starring damn Mr. Bean, and he just falls all over himself. But 
like, yeah, sure, Rufio is in this movie for a blip. And I think so much of it is the character design. I think Dante Bosco's charisma, he's got that nice smile and the look when he, when Hook starts going, Rufio, and he, you get that look in Rufio's eye and he turns with the sly smile and he's about to fight Hook is great. And I think that it's those moments. I think it's Dante Bosco's performance as brief as it is on screen. He's cool. And I think, and yeah, granted it doesn't age well cause he's nineties cool, but he was still cool. You've totally sold me with your Boba Fett analogy. You a hundred percent have convinced me. <laughs> I, I'm going to roll back all of my criticisms of Rufio because you're right. Like, I get it. I get it. That just made me yeah. get it. Okay, I got it. I, 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 I'm on board with Rufio. Like, I do, Yay! I do like the little like thing where he backs up and kind of takes a bow. You know, he does that little gesture. Looky, looky, I got hooky. Like that, he's that cool. Looky, looky, I no, got hooky. No, it did He's that's a high sucked. school kid. Yeah, yeah he, boo his. That was he's terrible. Awesome. But in general, well, I'm going to stop. I'm going to cut myself short and just take the victory. And yeah. We can, um, <laughs> Yeah, you, we you almost on. lost me again with Looky Looky. I got hooked. Okay, let's talk about losing me. Tinkerbell is wearing like a prom dress oh and fuck. she becomes huge and normal size. And I hate. Okay, so right after Pete learns how to fly and he really fully becomes Peter Penny, again, Neverland makes you forget, which I'm fine with because they establish it and it's throughout the whole film and it affects various people. But he's like full goofy peter and he's like hey what's going on are we gonna play the blah 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 and she's like pete you're gonna leave and she's upset and all that and then they have like a romance thing i'm gonna give you a real kiss i just take this out of the movie please it's the worst it's the worst like why why is that in the movie other than maybe like Julia Roberts like contractually dictated that she had a scene with Robin Williams or she got to be with another performer for a minute or something. But like, man, that scene is cringy and weird and bad. And it it leads me to, and this was going to be one of my questions, what is the weird thing with kissing in this movie? Like, like, I'm going to give you a kiss. Now it's a real kiss. We're going to have a kiss. We're going to kiss. I'm going to Why kiss is you, Peter. Unconscious Moira. Oh, that's- oh, oh, no, that's 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 a whole thing. That's a whole thing. And that was one of my questions. Like, what is going on in that scene? Like, how would you feel if you were a little girl and you woke up? And this dirty kid was kissing you <laughs> while your grandmother looked on lovingly. Like, what on earth is happening? It's like a fever dream. Like, why? Why is that okay? Why would Wendy let that happen? Why would it Wendy I, be like, whoa, Peter, whoa, whoa, she's asleep. Like, maybe now, wake up. Let her wake up. Kid, we'll have some breakfast or something. Like, in the, in the nah, 90s. Go ahead and make out with my granddaughter. It's fine. As she's asleep. She's Just lick her. It'll be okay. Like... <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i'm with you on that 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 was a weird part I, I think it's just one of those things that hasn't aged i i remember again seen as a kid fine with it you know but as an adult post me too, kissing an unconscious woman not great well yeah and the, the thing with with tink wanting to like be full size to piss 
kiss Peter for a moment while he doesn't remember his wife is kind of creepy. The whole thing, like where Peter originally, like when he initially arrives in Neverland and he goes underwater and those mermaids come and start blowing air into his mouth is just overtly sexual. Like, like, it's oh like, yeah, I forgot about that. It's like, they're saving his life. They're taking turns making out with him. Like, oh. and I like, it, it's almost gets to the point where I was like, are they going to eat him? Like, is this like some weird siren oh, thing where they're good. just going to attack him? <laughs> you know, like they're just going to like convert and their eyes will get real big and their gills will show and they'll be like, like, you know, and like start chomping at him. Um, and then from that scene, then he's miraculously being hauled up in that shell from, you know, into into the Lost Boys area. And so it kind of felt like there was something chopped out of the movie there because it jumps. Yeah, I think Tink had something other. to do with that personally. Uh, but yeah, the whole the whole thing with kissing in the movie is real weird. They're like all these Neverland folk have a strange relationship to kissing. And like back to the Wendy and Moira thing, like why is Wendy okay with Peter? Like that's her old boyfriend, right? Like it's, it's not just like Moira's perspective of the guy kissing her while her grandmother's there, but Wendy's perspective is like, that's my guy. In always. Yeah. But she has (laughs) long since outgrown him and knows that, (laughs) hey, I'm an old-ass woman, he's still 13, she's had 80-something billion years, or however old she is in this movie, to get over that. Still weird. Still it weird. It is weird, but it's not, it's not outside of the realm of, like, if you one know. of my high school girlfriends showed up and started making out with my son, I'd be like, whoa, 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 like... <laughs> Um, yeah, okay, right. yeah. This yep. isn't right. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> well, <laughs> what if she hadn't aged, though? What if she was the same age as your son? She has not aged. Would you say, yeah, if, if some 40-year-old woman comes in and makes out with your kid? Sure, that's weird. Well, of course, it's weird. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> it just brings up all sorts of weird things, like... <laughs> Yeah. All right. Where were we? What were we talking about? <laughs> um. Oh, I wanted to say, how did you feel about the food fight? I've because I was watching. And I'm like, this feels like something that Eric wouldn't like. The moments that brought me joy, I'm like, I bet Eric h- hates this. I didn't. And, I didn't hate it. I just kind of wondered, like, what it was supposed to be. Like, I, I, I think narratively that sequence doesn't a hundred percent work. Like. When the food does appear, yeah, is the food still not really there? Or has the food magically appeared because they chose to believe in it? Was the food always there for the Lost Boys while they were pretending to eat food? Were they actually eating food and Peter just didn't see the food because he didn't believe in the food? Uh, so like there, there were a lot of questions in my mind. Like I couldn't just accept that there was no food and then there was food. Um, it, I kind of like one way or the other, either the food was always there for them and then he suddenly sees it or they're throwing imaginary food at each other and we're just seeing the power of their imagination. You know, like I I had a hard time kind of reconciling what the hell was supposed to be really going on. But as far as just the concept of the Lost Boys having a food site, no, that looked like it was a lot of fun. If I was there and I was 11, I'd have been like, yeah, there's food at each other. Like, this is great. Especially the awesome colored pie fillings. Yeah, uh, which were weird. Like, 
What do you mean? So, well, some of that food didn't really look like food, right? Oh, like, yeah. Oh, that's those, true. <laughs> those pies looked like Play-Doh. I don't know what that yeah. meat was. It was like an eight-legged bird of some sort. No, <laughs> it was just chicken drums or turkey drums all kind of stacked in a way where, yeah, it, it, it passing as the camera passes over, I'm like, what kind of freak animal is that? It's all legs. <laughs> it's <a> spider. <laughs> yeah, like a chicken spider. Um, but yeah, so the other moment for me that I think is one of my favorites, which I feel like when I watched it, I thought I bet Eric hates this, but it's like you said, you got goosebumps for the song. And of course there's some sort of background thing, but after Pete flies for the first time and lands and Rufio comes up, gives him the sword and he goes, you can fly, you can whatever and you can crow and then the, the john williams score crescendos up and they're all together it's the lost boys i'm like yeah like it just works for me so well the crowing noise itself is pretty awful like my but it's my gonna kid, be my but the whole point like is cringed kids. from the crowing she's nine oh. she was like what are they doing <laughs> and they do that thing with their hand where they put their hand in front of their mouth and they no. wiggle their like no, you do it like this in front, you're doing yeah. it right. yeah yeah okay okay well you know, whatever like she was like what are they why why are they doing that and my wife was like that's just the thing they do sweetie that's just it's just what they do like the crowing i didn't remember the crowing from original peter pan like maybe it's something that's in like the book or their stage play yeah. or something uh but yeah so when they started doing the crowing i was like like they've mentioned the crow several times but this crowing is rather weird okay like Fine. maybe maybe it's just part of their like Neverland vernacular, you know, like maybe it's just like weird slang activities that have uh, developed in Neverland. The same thing with the fingers. Maybe that's just something that they've started doing and they've done it. For I'm going to start doing it because they've it's all like, clearly been there for like a hundred years. You can taste it. That's what I think. You can taste it. You can yeah. taste it. Which anyway. leads me to, I didn't write this down as a question, but how does time work in Neverland? Because like, some of them don't seem to realize that time has gone by, but then like Hook is getting older, right? And and so he's old, so time has passed for him. And at some point he makes a reference to something that he hasn't done in years, quote years, right? But the Lost Boys all seem to kind of same the stay the same age. So like and some of so, them are in like old timey clothes. Mm-hmm. In so how is time working? Like, does somebody come in as a lost boy and then, like, Rufio's older? Like, is he on the verge of becoming a pirate? Like, when you get to be an adult, because they say adults are pirates, do you just have to go to the other side well, and no, start you don't killing age. your the old kids friends? Don't age. So mm. the kids don't age. That's just one of those things. And maybe it's part of being part of the Lost Boys, Tinkerbell and her magic and, and the magic of uh neverland or some pocket of it or whatever i never really overthought it that much but one of the things that is true in other versions of peter pan in the stage plays is that the person who plays wendy and michael's dad also plays hook so if you saw the um there's one where um what's his name uh Malfoy's dad. Uh, okay. Isaac. What's the actor's uh, Oscar name? Oscar Isaacs. No. Yes. No. You're right. Uh, Oscar Isaacs is not. Isaac, <laughs> it's not Malfoy's I'm going to find out. But um, <laughs> I know the guy you're talking about, though. Yeah. He plays the dad and Hook. Um, well, that's probably pretty good. He, he's a great Malfoy. villain. 
Yeah, it, it's 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 a, it's a fine movie. Lucius Lucius Malfoy is his name in the in Harry Potter. Uh, Jason Isaacs. Jason um, Isaacs. There we go. So, who's awesome? But anyway, I think that's kind of the thing. Is like, um, Hook is always sort of the the personification of adulthood and being old and grumpy and codgery and you know. And I think that so much. I think one thing that establishes in Neverland is so much of your experience is based on your beliefs and. You know, and as a terrible, grumpy old person, he becomes a terrible, grumpy old person. And when you're young at heart and you stay young at heart, you stay young physically. And I think that's kind of how it works. Okay, then how did the pirates get there? Like, because the Lost Boys get there because Tink is running missions to the real world and stealing babies. Like a creepy human trafficker tink is a fairy human trafficker she's going and she's stealing babies <laughs> to repopulate the lost boys as the pirate kills them right so where do the pirates come from how do they get there there's an established group in neverland there's well how do they who... repopulate themselves as they get killed Sex. because they clearly die a lot with each other hey listen in this world that pirate lady had a beard we're not. We are not sure that all of those bearded pirates are biologically male. Glenn Close. That's what I'm saying. Oh, so well, there are re- some like kind of painted lady hooker looking types uh, the, hanging out yeah, around too. Some course corsairs or whatever they're called. Um, yes. So there are women in Neverland. So they repopulate with sex. Well, if they have children, then do their children become lost boys? Tink saves them. Tink kidnaps the children from the pirates and takes them over and becomes Lost Boys. So then again, yes. we're left with how do the pirates repopulate the pirate population? Um, They hide them from Tinkerbell in basements. <laughs> they put them in barrels. It's like the biblical story where, where Mary and Joseph have to go to Egypt for a while as Herod is slaying all the children. It's the same thing. I see. They just leave for a while and they then come back. They leave for a while. The kids get old. They go to pirate school and they come back and they serve it, Captain Hook, King of the Pirates. fully formed, drunken, swarthy yes, pirates. It makes sense. Okay. That's cool. God. I think these are like super legit questions. <laughs> hey, Peter, how did you fit in those smashing tights? Another so great Pete. question. He just magically shows up in that outfit. He learns to because fly. Because he magically manifested food. This is not the. This is not a problem. Okay. There's just a lot of stuff in this movie that's like quote magic. I don't even want yes. to get into what happens to Hook at the end of the movie. But let's go ahead and get into it. What happens to Hook at the end of the movie? Okay. After we've all taken a moment to mourn the death of Rufio, we are greeted with another sword fight. Now, which oh, is shitty. Also, yeah, but how many great sword fights from back in the past can you think of? Like it, the Princess Bride, date ninety one. Not is that ninety what? Anything with Douglas Fairbanks? Okay, whatever. Shut up. Stop I'm just proving saying, me wrong. I'm just saying that the okay, sword yeah, fights in this movie are particularly shitty. Those are shitty sword fights. Yes, they are not well choreographed for something that the movie has been building up to the entire time. The big fight between Pan and and Hook you would think that they would have put a little more effort into making it an interesting sword fight instead of two guys just staying there clacking swords together. And they didn't have the right choreographer on site to make the sword fight. Fine. 
Yeah. Whatever. It didn't bother me as a kid. They didn't needed to bring me. a Kung Fu guy in. If they'd have brought a Kung Fu guy in, then they could have had some sweet. Like, I was expecting to see Peter, like, flipping off of stuff and, like, running up yeah. the wall and flipping over, bed, like, doing some, some stunts and some tricks and, you know. So, and they're just standing there kind of clacking their swords. It was shitty. How do you feel about Thudbutt turning into a ball and bowling people over? <laughs> it felt very 90s to me. What's I his name? Thudbutt? Thudbutt, yeah. Thudbutt. Like, the fact that his name is Thudbutt, the way the character is portrayed, all the jokes about his weight, like, none of that would have happened in this day and age. That said, I loved the kid that they had playing the part so much. Like, he's so lovable, and when he smiles, your heart just melts, you know? Yeah. And, And so I was able to look past... All of the inappropriateness with his character and just kind of be like, oh, I love that kid. And so when he does turn into a ball and roll down the stairs and take people out like they're bowling pins, I was like, ah, eh, okay. Like the whole fight scene is so stupid anyhow where they've got like the machine guns shooting tomatoes or whatever the hell they've got. These weird, the egg thing, you know, these weird contraptions. Uh, None of it works and none of it makes any sense. So I was just kind of going with the flow when he rolls down the stairs in bowling ball form. Okay. I enjoyed it. Okay. So anyhow, we were uh, back to what happens to Captain Hook. Okay. Back to Hook being eaten by a crocodile statue. Yeah. So Hook has killed the the classic crocodile from the, the films and has stuffed it and it is sitting in the middle of Pirate Square, right? Okay, this already doesn't make any sense because it's got a clock in its mouth, right? And he hates clocks and he's banned clocks. And so why he did he put it when he taxidermied that It's that a broken giant, clock. Tr- but why is it there? Like why why did he make the choice? Because it's clearly Hook's choice. Like I have killed this thing that ate my hand. And there was always something with a clock in the crocodile. Like it had swallowed a clock and so it makes you could the hear ticking it noise. Yeah. yeah, you could hear it coming. And that's why he hates the ticking of clocks because the crocodile ate his hand or whatever. So when he taxidermied the thing, why did he choose to put a clock in its mouth? I don't know. You'll have why? to ask him. I, it's weird. It's just weird. That's weird. That's weird. It's weird. He has a lot of clocks lying around from breaking them and he's like well this just looks like a gator he's like he puts it in the middle and everybody sees the dead clock and they're reminded hook runs this place so when people come to town they're like how come that clock doesn't work the people that are new to town get told listen um hook doesn't like clocks he runs this town and that's why that clock doesn't work okay so weirdness of the statue aside go ahead that's it. That's the explanation. So, okay. So he, he, they get in a sword fight. He accidentally hooks the, which is not a statue. It's a taxidermy, gigantic, how tall is it? A 20 foot crocodile. It's huge. Yeah. It's enormous. And it wakes the crocodile up or something because the clock falls out of its maw. It turns down and maybe it's not actually awake, but this, it's a magical world. And then it falls over and okay. One problem. He pulls a Prometheus. Okay. Have you seen Prometheus? I have seen Prometheus. It's crap. But what are you talking scene... about? That abortion scene is amazing. <laughs> sure. But the film is crap. It, it has a couple of scenes. And I mean, I love, damn, what's his name? Magneto. Yeah. He's Hit, great. The guy who played, he's awesome. But it, there's the scene where Charlize Theron is running away from the thing rolling. And it's just move to the right, lady. You dumb, dumb, move to the left. 
any other direction but straight. And what Hook does as this thing is falling on him at a very precise point, he stands up as opposed to roll to the left, roll to the right. He pulls a Prometheus. Yeah, okay. So initially, like, the crocodile gets slashed in some way. I can't remember if, like, Hook he, slashes. I, he goes to stab Pete with And, like, hook. some sort of magic smoke comes out of it. There's, like, some sort of, like, colored smoke. That's how they taxidermy. They don't have taxidermy technology back then. It's a spell. They, they put magic smoke in it. And then, yes. okay, so then, like, the crocodile falls, and Hook goes into its mouth, and then he's just gone. Where is he? Magic. No. Where but they is even he? all acknowledge, like, well, I guess he's gone. Like, the, that's the thing. Okay. Is he in the crocodile? No, Hook too. okay? Because then <laughs> they can just cut the crocodile open and get him back out, right? Like... Where is he? I, uh, he's dead. No, he's dead. but he's not. There's no body. Like, where does he go? He's uh, he's in. He went back to the real world. Oh God, he's a homeless <laughs> man in the real world now. Okay, so speaking of people going back to the real world, I'm blowing all my questions here. But speaking of people going back to the real world, why is Smee cleaning up garbage at the end of the movie when that Peter was wakes weird. up? What now, was and I, that? Like, so, it, but again, in the plays. That's kind of what happens, right? It's the Dorothy effect where right. the people around you. Right, and that's what it made me think of. So I was yeah. like, wait, was were we supposed to think that Peter was dreaming all of this and that these people were just people that he saw in the real world? That doesn't quite work because he didn't well, really see that guy. Well, then they clearly establish he's not. Yeah, right. And then they clearly establish he's not because Tootles flies out the window. So right. like, why is me there cleaning up trash in the town square where Peter wakes up? Like, what is that? Why is that there? Steven Spielberg, why is that there? And please write us and let me know. Because, yes. like, that bit. At Spielberg Chrono on Twitter. Right. That doesn't make any sense, Steven Spielberg. It makes zero sense. Like, I don't understand the significance of that at all. In fact, it just made the end of the movie, like, I just was questioning everything. And then it just glazes right past it and Toodles flies out the window. So, yeah. And that's the end of Hook. Um, 10 out of 10 for you. Ah, six. We don't rank. Okay. You don't have to put a number on it. I, I still love this movie. <laughs> I really enjoyed watching it again. And and I was a little worried going in that you were right, that I would be like, my adultness would take over. But as soon as Hook gets on screen and Smee and we're in Neverland and we got the Lost Boys and the John Williams score is is awesome and of course like i said i fell asleep to as a kid so it really brought back a lot of memories i'm still all in on this movie i really love it so i'll I'll say this i do not hate this movie when we finally do rank all of these movies at the end of the show uh this one will not be at the bottom like that i can can name right in the middle i can name three (laughs) off the top of my head that are immediately like way 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 worse yeah um so so i'm no longer like Oh, Hook is an example of a bad Steven Spielberg movie. I think that's what threw me off, too, is like when you said it, I was like, uh, and maybe it's not your favorite, but 
is it bad? You know what I mean? Like, I didn't sit there cringing watching it, which was what I was expecting. I sat there kind of like internally snorting at a lot of it. Like, what was that? (laughs) What was that? But, uh, but I didn't hate it. And like I said, before they got to Neverland, like it was really working for me. And, and parts of the film after they get to Neverland, like all the hook and Smee stuff also really worked for me. Um, but I obviously, you know, I did have a lot of issues with it. So in the end, I'm actually I was going to say I was a little positive on it. Like if my kids decide they want to watch it again, you know, like I won't immediately run out of the room. You know, like it was it was uh, it was OK. It was OK. I'm going to ask a pre-rank question. You're in a room. It's a classic yeah. movie draft house question. There's a DVD of Empire of the Sun and Hook. Ah, shit. Which one do you put in to get out of the room? Oh, shit. That's a tough one because I kind of rank those two the same. You, you, like, if you remember what I said about Empire of the Sun, it was kind of like, you know, it was, a, it was thumb okay. to the side, thumb slightly, to the side slightly cocked up. Yeah. I think between the two, I would probably watch Hook because it's shorter and has a little more like just glossy fun. You know? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot more happening. At the very yeah. least, it's more stimulating. Then Empire of the Sun. Empire of the Sun, as, as much as I did appreciate it on a lot of levels, uh, was still a bit of a slog. Yeah. Like that movie's th- going to be real close to the bottom for me. This movie, <laughs> this movie, movie at least moves. You know, yeah. stuff happens. It takes forever for him to become Peter Pan, but at least like stuff is happening along the way. It's a magical world. You got mermaids making out with people. What else do you want? Well, yeah. Any, that's, that's did we did movie. we leave any questions? Uh, let's see, uh, what the shit is that ending with the croc? We talked about that. What is this movie of obsession with making out? We talked about that. Yeah. Uh, would the film have been better off, uh, abandoning Peter altogether and following Hook and Smee on a new adventure? We kind of talked about that. Um, I would totally be there for a, and I know you necessarily wouldn't be, but for a Rufio film, like a Rufio based adventure against Hook. But I, I could kind of get down with that. I, I, you know, like I wasn't kidding. You did kind of convince me with your Rufio Boba Fett analogy. Like I, I, I can see the character in a new light through that metaphor, you know? So yeah, okay, I could kind of get down with that. The Rufio age, right? Yeah. Cause there's a long ass time while Peter was gone and 40 something years. If, yeah. And Rufio if was time in is charge. parallel between the two worlds. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, I would get down with that. I would watch some Rufio. I would watch Hook and Smee. Of course, Bob Hoskins sadly oh is God. gone now. Yeah. But uh, that feels like a real missed opportunity, the further adventures of those two. I need to watch more Hoskins. I mean, I, I'm, the only things I'm really familiar with is this and Mario. So I need to go and... and... Well, Roger Rabbit. Uh, oh, we, God, yes. We could do yeah. it as a bonus episode if you wanted to. I'd be down for that. Um, <sighs> Mermaids. He's the love interest in Mermaids, which is a great film. Uh, Cher, Winona Ryder, and Christina Ricci. If you've never seen it, fantastic movie. Um, I love Christina Ricci. Yeah, that she was, was my, my she was real little. Up. She was real little in that. She was like eight or nine. I'm the same age as her, and yeah. so I when I went to because it, it sounds creepy otherwise, but I'm the same age as Christina Ricci within months of time, and I went to see uh, Adam's Family Values, and I immediately had a crush on her all through the rest of my childhood uh and adolescence and on up so i've always been a fan of hers um but casper casper's a good movie casper's a good movie (laughs) Uh, i totally 
would do a Roger Rabbit bonus episode, and we'd have to do it next week. But the problem is, I really want to get to our next movie. Which is? Jurassic Park. Yeah, Don. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like, okay, so let's think of this in, in terms of our listeners. <sighs> Like for us, we could do Jurassic Park next week, but the listeners would have to wait for two weeks for Jurassic Park. They would Park, still have to wait, for regardless two weeks. of when we do it. God. So, like, this is our opportunity to squeak in a Roger Rabbit if we're going to do it. It's a perfect okay. place for it. So, why don't you and I, in real time, in our time, why don't we think about doing Roger Rabbit next week and then Jurassic Park? Okay, I just I love Jurassic Park, and I want to watch it again with my son. And we're going to have Elliot on that episode, and it's going to be a blast. Oh, yeah. That will be fun. That will be fun. But, uh, okay. For you and I, we'll postpone a week. For the listener, the normal two weeks will apply, but next week we'll we'll, we'll go Bob Hoskins in chronologically, and, but not really, because that's 88. Close enough. Uh, yeah. It's the uh, Bob Hoskins connection. Yeah. I love Bob Hoskins. What else was he in here? Um... That's about it. <laughs> um, like this, I'm looking through his stuff. And I'm like, I don't recognize any of these movies outside of the ones you mentioned. He played Captain Jack in a film called Captain Jack. Anyway, yeah. So we'll watch Roger Rabbit next week. We'll postpone for us anyway. Watching just the perennial flipping masterpiece that is Jurassic Park. Any chance that when's the last time you watched Jurassic Park? Less than a year ago. Yeah, easily. Like, I I bought all the time. It. All the time. My son did his dinosaur phase, and he loves the Jurassic Park evolution game where you make a dinosaur park. And so he and I have seen all the classic Jurassic Parks. Um, and so I watched it with him, and I'm I've told him I said we're doing Jurassic Park soon. Want to watch it with me? So I'm excited for that. Oh, yeah. I'm going to break up the big screen. I got the 3D Blu-ray. I'm going to charge the glasses up. We're just going to oh do it. Oh, my God. We're going to do it. That with the chasing with the guys in the truck with the tramp, chomp, chompy, chomp. Oh, it's so good. Oh, I'm jealous. Okay. So good. Well, well, we'll have to we'll watch Roger Rabbit next week. You can come back for another bonus episode. And um, I guess that's it. You can find Eric on Twitter at Eric underscore hotter. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Spielberg Chrono. You can follow me at Podcast by Jeff. You can check out my other podcast, which is the movie Draft House, uh, the GamingNexus.com, uh, Eric's YouTube channel. All the links are in the description. Am I missing anything? Nope, you nailed it all. Okay, we'll see you next week again. You're getting spoiled. So many. By all this bonusing uh, for Roger Rabbit. Take care, y'all. See you next week. <laughs>